I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to Wood Talk. For woodworkers, by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who, if combined would make one hell of a woodworker. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 310 for May 23rd, 2016, and I'm back, baby. I, you had a week off for me. Maybe some enjoyed it. Maybe you enjoyed it a little too much. Mahalo, Mark. Yes, mahalo, <laughs> aloha. How's it going, everybody? I'm back. Um, I'm no more tan than I was when I left uh, because sun uh, UV rays are, are not our friend. So uh, we avoid them at all costs. <laughs> I almost didn't even bring a bathing suit because it was like, oh, I'm not really going to do anything with the water. I mean, we'll go to the beach, but I don't have any desire to go in. I, I was going to say, you went to Hawaii and spent like three hours in a tattoo parlor, didn't you? It was, yeah, I did. It was all about the tattoos. It was all about uh, the food and culture and driving around and seeing things and ultimately just relaxing. And that, that was the point of the trip. Uh, and awesome. man, it was fantastic. We had a really great time. We really needed that. It's It's been a long a long time since our last vacation, like about a decade. So yeah, I'm good. I'm all, I'm all hyped up. I'm ready to do a show. I, I actually enjoyed listening to an episode of Wood Talk, <laughs> which is something I don't normally do, uh, that I, that I wasn't on, which is fantastic. You guys did a, a great job. Although I do have to say when you have Vanderlist on the show, he doesn't leave a whole lot of room for Cremona to talk. <laughs> no. And and you notice how the time, like the total show time manages to creep like over the hour mark. It does. It does. Vander, <laughs> there's a, something we call Vanderbloat. Vanderbloat. Yeah. Not about that term. Yeah. You got to be careful about that because, uh, you know, Matt can extend a subject as long as you need him to, which is, which it can be very handy, but ultimately gotta, you know, you gotta pinch it off sometimes. Uh, but no, it was great listening to you guys on the show together. I had a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, before we get completely distracted, we should probably talk about what's on today's show. Uh, we're going to be talking about attaching a butcher block top to a base, getting started in wood carving, 110 volt jointers, speed tenons, flush trim router bit confusion, and our feature topic, how to deal with shop frustration and maximizing limited shop time. But before we get to all that, let's take a quick moment to talk about our sponsor today, Kalo Rings. Kalo is the functional wedding ring for your hard working hands. Kalo silicone wedding rings are safe for your finger, and now the the new quality collection rings are made with Q2X material and they're 10 times more resistant to gas, oil, and solvents and less rigid than traditional silicone. Kalo rings are incredibly comfortable and start at just $15.99, so head to Kalo.com, that's Q-A-L-O.com, and use the discount code WOODTALK for 15% off your order. That's an excellent deal, people. You got to get over there. I wore one the entire time when I was in Hawaii. And I'll tell you, even with the extra humidity, you know, you think might maybe rubber on your finger. Maybe is that on? Unco- no, not at all. It was absolutely comfortable. Wore it all week long. Still have it on today. Love this thing. Um, we don't have anybody individual to thank for donations. No one, uh, no one loves us. I guess you guys didn't do that good of a job last week. <laughs> I was going to say, is it any wonder after last week? I mean, come <laughs> on. They're actually got a bunch of emails asking for money back 
So yeah. that's unfortunate. Uh, but if you want to help us out and uh, donate a few bucks to the show to keep it running, you can do that. Just go to woodtalkshow.com, look in the side column for the donation links, and uh, we'll mention your name at the beginning of the show, if, if you do. If you don't, we won't. It's simple as that. So let's get into what's on the bench. Uh, mine should be fairly quick. We kind of touched on where I've been, so I obviously uh, haven't done a whole lot in the, the way of woodworking. But uh, a traveling woodworker, you know, you sort of have this sense of always looking for inspiration and ideas and stuff, you know, so you walk around and you see furniture in a hotel uh, and it doesn't matter what hotel I'm at. I could be in like a holiday inn in, in Cincinnati and I'm going to be taking pictures of furniture <laughs> that I see. There's always something that catches my eye. Uh, and there was plenty of uh, inspiration in, in this, uh, this hotel in Maui. Um, so I got a bunch of pictures of that stuff, things I'm like, up oh, there's a future Wood Whisper project or at least something like it. Um, but there's definitely inspiration to be gained when you go out of town. I, I just love doing that. Um, we also got to see a lot of great furniture and uh, small local shops featuring local woodworkers. Um, I've got a link later on that I'll talk about a particular one that caught my eye, Um, but it's very cool to see. um, uh, uh, You know, if you go off the beaten path, there's a lot of these shops that, I mean, that's geared toward tourists, but you can tell they really go out of their way to showcase local talent and local uh, people who who are making these things, not stuff that's just coming off an assembly line. So you feel really good when you actually, you know, if something costs 50 or 60 bucks, you kind of feel really good about buying it because you're actually helping out an individual craftsperson in that area. Uh, which was fantastic. Um, the other thing, yeah, you mentioned it before, Shannon, I did get a tattoo. I figured, you know what? Um, <laughs> I still have some skin that, that doesn't have ink on it. Why not? Uh, it's, it's a great souvenir. Um, when we first came into, I don't know if it's, at, if it's, that's the right tree. I don't think it was at the airport, but after we went on a few little like tours around, I saw in several places, these banyan trees. Uh, and if you're not familiar with these, they are these creepy looking trees that kind of grow almost like parasitically they can they grow on top of other trees they grow on top of buildings and the root system and the the, the sort of um, you know the main trunk if you will is actually a bunch of smaller pieces that come together this thing looks creepy as hell um, but so awesome um, almost like something I would see in, in my mind's eye in a Tolkien story uh, really really cool but I've seen several on the on the island thought it was fantastic and that's what I got on my arm is a, a beautiful banyan tree that uh, is swallowing up a building you know a doorway um, so fits in with the sort of theme of the rest of my tattoos thought it was cool and a great souvenir and uh, definitely again something that inspires me to build furniture I don't know what it is but a cool tattoo of a tree makes me want to get in the shop so yeah so good time permanent souvenir it's good stuff I like it yeah and and, uh, and of course I missed you guys so it was great listening Aww. to the show and yeah. uh, good, I, good to I be second back. the whole like when you go places and if you do stumble across local artists and things like if if they have smaller things, I'm totally all over that. Yeah. Like I bought bowls. I bought like business card holders, just little, you know, that $60 mark seems <clears> to be about right. I've gone as high as a hundred before on a, yeah. on a really big bowl, but like every time, um, Maine is one of those places to all kinds of woodworkers and kind of craftsy type people up there. And I'm always stumbling into these shops. And my biggest thing, did you actually, did you actually meet any of these woodworkers? No, no. The, one of the guys we thought about stopping by his shop, but I'm like, his shop is open because he wants business. He's right, not necessarily right. there to shake my hand and be like, "Oh, let me look I, at your I've tools. had that where I've like where the the, the showroom is like like a it's like off the shop or like in the driveway in front of the shop. Right. And I try so hard to not be that like guy, yeah, like yeah. that woodworker. So let me tell you about your machines. Cause it's like, I know full well that the dude's like, all right, I got work to do. I like, need to get back to work, dude. <laughs> work on a commission here. Get the, buy it and get the hell out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care about your YouTube videos. Get the hell out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's something if I would have done the research and maybe talked to the guy ahead of time, we could have arranged something and maybe done something to help him. Like, I mean, it can't hurt to have your, your name mentioned on a, a, you know, an online video series at some point, but uh, yeah. it just didn't occur to me and didn't even find out about the guy until I saw some of his stuff in a small shop um, in this little town we were uh, walking around in. So uh, lost opportunity, but either way, still got to enjoy the guy's work and uh, some really cool stuff when we were there. So super happy, great trip. That's it for me, Shannon. Uh, what's been going on in your life? Do you guys ever build um, prototypes or like Hell no. models of the stuff that you're working on? That's what SketchUp no, is for. The first version is usually the prototype. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And you'll build another one a few years later. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, I am exactly the same way. You know, I, I uh, like a lot of like the really like artsy, you know, design savant type woodworkers. I'm always seeing, oh, I built this scale model and I think it's encouraged in design school and everything, but I'm just like, nah, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. 
But uh, I am. I was filming a section um, of for the Angel School this blanket chest, and there's a most blanket chests of the the period have that internal like candle till, and it's really kind of an anachronism. That a modern blanket chest, you just I don't need that. So I'm not including it on mine. Mm-hmm. But there's been enough questions about it. And I'm like, all right, I should probably just build it. Um, but I don't want to put it in my own. So I'm actually doing a mock-up of it. And I decided, well, rather than milling up 16-inch wide boards to do a mock-up of this thing, <laughs> I'll just do it to scale. So I did it at half scale. That's a lot of fun. Nice. Like, it's. I mean, I, I could like even go quarter scale and have even more fun because it's just like little tiny pieces. You know, in my case, I'm using eight inch wide boards instead of 16 inch wide boards, but like everything, including the thickness is scaled down. So I'm like cleaning out just random scrap from my box and like making a functioning. (laughs) And I went all out, like I dovetailed the corners and everything. You know, I did it exactly as it would be in the full size. I just did it down to scale. I had a lot of fun with it. Just because it was so quick, because everything is so small, and especially like the joinery, you know, you're instead of cutting uh, seven eighths inch wide mortises, I'm cutting quarter inch wide mortises. You know, that you bang them out in seconds. It was a lot of fun. You know, I can't say that I'm gonna like start building scale models of all my stuff. <laughs> yeah, but it, I, I got to tell you, it really helped crystallize like the process and um, what was really cool because. If I were then to turn around and like incorporate that in the full size model and from my perspective actually film it, it would be much, 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 much tighter. You know, it's the same thing. Like if you've built a piece of furniture like 20 times, it's, it's, you can put on a really tight presentation on it. But yeah. it was interesting. Um, and I came up with some cool ideas that maybe like if I did it in a project in the future, like how I would change it, how I would alter the process. So there's there's no question. Everybody talks about how it's an effective design tool. It's just one of those things like I don't have time for that. I might try to make time in the future. Well, it if sounds for like no other reason um, than it was fun. Sounds like you discovered that it actually doesn't take as much time as you expected it to, though. That's true. That's very true. And especially if you use like like cardboard or you know, right. foam board, you don't have to use would but at the same time when you really thin the stuff out like you know if you go core scale you know if you figure your average thickness of you know furniture pieces could be anywhere from you know three quarters inch to maybe one and a half two inches we'll go to quarter scale and now you're dealing with really thin pieces that in some instances you can rip them just by using an exacto knife to yeah, score yeah. it and then snap it you know <laughs> right. and it, that's it was a lot of fun i enjoyed it this makes me feel like this is one of those areas where we might be bad influences in terms of showing oh. other people what our habits are because if you think about it and i know you know at least for me i'm speaking for myself and you guys correct me if i'm wrong for us our end product is not just the furniture but the video and mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, it's actually more important that we get that video out and that the, the project looks good in the video. The, if, if, we were, <laughs> if we were just custom furniture makers where the absolute most important thing was the end product project, it might be worth our time and make total sense. You know, because like you said, you do that first one, it's almost like a dry run, and then it always comes out better the second time. I mean, when when we had a that that big mistake in the shop on the Barrister's bookcase build, um, where David sanded a little bit too much and we had to completely scrap those parts, guess what? Second time around, everything came out better. You know, like uh, those yeah. frames were just dead on square. Everything was perfect because we had a whole dry run accidentally, but it was there. So it makes me feel like we might not be doing justice to that part of the process by dismissing it so quickly and saying, eh, I don't make scale models. Who does that? Well, people who want the best finished product the first time around, you know, when they're actually giving that to a client or something. Yeah. No question. I have no doubt that much of what I do is not a good example. There's, there's really, there's really no question in my mind. I don't mind. know why anybody watches my show. <laughs> do as I say and not as I do. Definitely. Have you ever been tempted, Matt, to to make a scale model? Not really. No. It doesn't. I don't know. I feel like if I'm working on something, I just do it on the actual project. I don't know. There is something exciting about that. I mean, I, I've done, I've been a proponent of like designing on the fly, which always makes actual real designers and furniture designers like, you know, <laughs> think I'm an idiot. Um, but I like the thrill of of designing and making decisions when it matters. You know, yeah, I'm the same way with like cutting new joinery or trying new things. It's always on the project parts. It's never on some practice parts. Yeah. So I never like yeah. grab some boards and practice dovetailing. It was always like higher risk, like, this is the only drawer that I have right. to do this on, and I better get it right the first time. I that mess kind of up, I'm, I'm getting I another think, part. 
you know, certainly if you're like playing with design and you're kind of going outside the box, if you will, I think there's a lot of merit to it. Mm-hmm. What I found was interesting is um, how the process by doing this, um, it would change. I would do it a little bit differently when I integrated into the normal project. Um, and that's just comes from like if you ever build the same exact piece more than once, yeah. you refine that. You get more efficient and you you come up with little shortcuts. For instance, like this this till, it requires essentially two mortises on both sides of the case. And I was laying it all out and I'm like fumbling with the parts and like tracing around them. And then I was like, wait a minute. These two get glued together. So I just went ahead and glued them together. So I had this like L piece instead of two separate pieces. And I traced around the whole thing because it's all the same mortise. And it was like that's like such a stupid, simple improvement to the process. (laughs) But it made the layout so much more accurate to the point where I actually refilmed that section to show how I did that instead of me fumbling about holding pieces in place and clamping them in place. And that was like, you know, one of those kind of light bulb type moments that only happens when you build that piece of furniture more than once right. it's something that like the one-off furniture maker really kind of misses out on yeah you know, that, no doubt that about fine it enough process mm-hmm. yeah well it sounds like a good experience man very cool now matt i see you got yes. a note here that you went to a lumber yard do, I did. do you consider that slumming it i do you know? <laughs> were, were you asked to leave you go hang out with the regular people <laughs> <laughs> no that was a, it was a good experience i've never been to one before so no ser- um, seriously yeah, I was making a joke, and like, you actually have never been to a lumberyard. Correct. Yeah, That's I've never, fantastic. the only lumberyard I've ever been to was uh, you know Rockley or Woodcraft. If you want to call it lumberyard? That doesn't count. Which I don't. No, it's <laughs> no. like a lumber um, boutique. Yeah, if you want to call it anything. <laughs> yeah, I had a really great week last week. Uh, last week was the first week in a long time I wasn't editing a guild video, so I, I kind of took the week off. <laughs> my I bad. Did, I didn't edit any uh, any videos for my channel either. I just did my shop update, and, the, and that was it for the week. So that felt really good. I just kind of, you know, got caught up on some stuff around the house and just, you know, did what I wanted to do, which was fun. And yeah. one of those things was to go to the lumber yard to get some um, 12-foot cherry for my trim. I have a, uh, I think, a 10-foot window that I need to put casing around, so I need something that's like 11 feet long when it's done. Don't have anything that long because I don't have anywhere to store anything that long. So I was kind of forced into this whole going to the lumberyard thing. No choice. Wow. But it was um, it was it was a good experience. I mean, the, the, I think one of the the like the hardest parts about like getting getting there or getting into the whole like what do I do when I get there kind of thing because they're all kind of different. And it's like it's a yard. It's not a like retail kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So like, where the heck do I go? Like, who do I talk to? Because like there's an office and there's a yard office and there's like the wood. So like I just wander around. If anybody stops me, I'll. I'll run away or whatever. <laughs> Give him the finger. <laughs> but uh, actually, one of the, the the most interesting revelations I had when I was there was the fact that everything they had there was kiln dried. But then, like, I know, like, I'm not trying to like come at you, like, with Mark, like, with this. But I know, like, when we're talking about like, using good lumber, you always you always jump to using good quality kiln dried lumber. Yeah. Right. So my thought was, when I'm there. I'm like, this stuff is all stored in like buildings that are basically, you know, untemperature controlled, unhumidity controlled. They're basically outside and you walk into this building, it's got a big slab floor. It's just like pouring humidity into the air. So you know that as soon as those boards get into that environment, they're picking up moisture. So just because you think you're buying a kiln dried board that's like down to like 6%, in reality, the longer those boards sit out there, the more moisture content they have in them. So the ones that I bought were actually at 9.5%. And the equilibrium for my for cherry in my shop is eight or eight and a half. Hmm. So I mean, it's, it's still within range of what I would call workable. But if those kept sitting out there any longer, you know, they're going to be up around probably twelve, which is what's in my shed right now, as far as stuff that's technically outside. It's kind of an interesting thing. I don't think a lot of people think about like, oh, it's dried to whatever. Uh, so what? The only thing that really guarantees is that at one point in this board's life, it was this dry. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you got better well, have the, that moisture meter handy to make sure you don't have any surprises <laughs> too. The thing you, the thing you have to remember with a kiln dried board is and and equilibrium moisture for us, like at our yard is about 12%. Yeah. Um, but it takes a while for it to get there. When, when you kiln dry stuff, you're, you're kind of hardening the cell fibers. Mm-hmm. It's like that dried sponge or the dried creek bed where the water sluices off. It will definitely pick up moisture. Generally, stuff's coming out of the kiln, and within a day, it's you know it's, it was 6% when it came out of the kiln. Within a day, it's at 8%. But it really slows dramatically from there, and it can take 
around our yard, it can take six months or so for it to climb to 12%. And then when you put it into a drier environment, it sheds that moisture really, really quickly. So that's the key. It's not that it, you know, and I think a lot of people have that impression that, oh, it's kiln dried. So it kind of locks in the moisture content. You know, hell no. <laughs> it still picks it up and absorbs it. I mean, we get a thunderstorm that fly, blows through. It will raise it a little, but not that much. And it's very quick to shed it again, too. And because the cell walls have been hardened by because they were baked, um, it, yeah. it doesn't move as readily as like air dried wood. But there's no question, especially when you're dealing with like unique boards, like big slabs. Let's rephrase that really expensive boards, <laughs> their turnover is, is quite slow, right? Yeah, we are sitting for you know, a while. <laughs> yeah, you know, so was like I go to Hearn Hardwoods up the road from me and uh, Rick Hearn's got stuff that uh, came off of like a Buddhist temple 45, <laughs> 60 years ago in Indonesia. And, you know, it's, it's this really unusual piece and it's been there as long as I've been going to Hearn, which is probably 15 years now. Um, I can't imagine what the moisture content is on that stuff. It's it's probably equilibrium because it's been sitting there mm-hmm. for so long. But I guarantee you if I took it into like a climate-controlled shop or whatever, it would drop that moisture pretty quickly. Nice. So it's just another point of uh, acclimating your wood to the environment yes. when you get at home. Yeah, I think that's key too. You got to know your shop. Like you, you're you're w- very well aware, Matt, of what your uh, your conditions are and what the wood should be when it's ready to go. You know, and a lot of people probably don't even think about that. So they could assume that this board is ready to roll, take it home, and don't have any idea that the humidity changes and the equilibrium point is is very different. They might have to wait a little while. Mm-hmm. Well, cool, man. That sounds good. Well, it's nice of you yeah. to uh, be amongst the, uh, the the mere mortals <laughs> out there who have to purchase the, all their wood. the great unwashed that have to uh, exactly the unsullied. No, wait. That's, that's that's the opposite. Never mind. <laughs> Think uh, Game of Thrones on the brain. Um, all right, so let's Old, move into what's new. Yes, that. Uh, let's right. move into what's new. And speaking of um, moist wood, there's a woodworker in Maui that I came across, and all I, I mean, thinking the whole time, I'm so used to woodworking in Arizona. What kind of changes I would be in for to work in such a humid environment as as an island, the climate on Maui, and uh, I just thought thought that whole thing would be interesting to have a conversation about this with someone. Uh, but as I was going through some of these shops, found some great little beautiful, elegant boxes, other pieces of larger furniture. I was very impressed with what this shop had, and they all were referencing this one gentleman named uh, Peter Naramore. And uh, you can go to his website, peternaramore.com. Um, just a great furniture maker. And uh, you could like commission pieces and his shop, like I said before, his shop is open, but I wasn't about to stop in because like I said, he wants to make money, not talk to YouTube woodworkers. <laughs> um, so yeah, really cool stuff. Lots of stuff that you could look at on his website, but uh, really an accomplished craftsperson. I think he was in Fine Woodworking. The brochure I was reading said he was on the cover of Fine Woodworking like in the 80s, I believe. Uh, but really cool, you know, really cool guy just making his living out there on Maui. Um, I can't imagine there's a ton of competition for that type of uh, studio furniture and fine furniture he makes, but uh, it looks like he's doing well. His there, portfolio so. is interesting. It's not what I would expect from a Hawaiian woodworker if there is such a stereotype. But, right. you know, a lot of a lot of empire and, and Regency style furniture. Um, it's interesting. I would not expect that at all. Right. You know? yeah. Although it's, I it's guess there's a lot of British influence, but well, whatever. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, awesome. good stuff. Definitely check it out. Uh, this is me, isn't it? Yeah, it is you. Um, so the uh, uh, Glenn sent us this channel. It's a Four Eyes channel, and I, I'm pretty certain, Matt. Didn't we talk about his bench like last week or two weeks ago or something like that? I don't know. We, we very yeah. recently we featured uh, a video by this guy on his bench. The funny thing was, is I totally didn't put two and two together. Uh, when I watch this, uh, I gotta say this, this video is about, um, a coffee table that he designed. And there's a really cool narration about like the relationship with the client and working with the client and going through the design with the client. I gotta say, this is one of the finest videos I've seen on YouTube in a long time. Yeah. Really, yeah. really well shot. Um, I feel like he's a fan of Wes Anderson and like <laughs> the grand Budapest hotel. Cause there's some very Wes Anderson style <laughs> framing and shots here. Uh, just excellent cinematography, great woodworking, and great design. So uh, this guy Chris is somebody we need to pay attention to. Um, and uh, Glenn, when he sent this in, said it was worth subscribing to the channel. But he said you should also take a look at his uh, Q and A video. Um, it's pretty yeah, dang funny. funny. <laughs> he does a he, he basically <laughs> responds to some of the 
uh, comments uh, and trolls. And one of them is, is saying, you know, do you, uh, it sounded very, very scripted. So you need to, I'm going to embed the, the video in the show notes. You need to watch the QA video just so you could see like the hairy dude holding the cue cards. Cause that's, that's pretty fun. Sweet. <laughs> it's good stuff. I will check that out for sure. <laughs> this next one is from Nate. He said he thought that we'd be interested in the following article. This is a listing of, I guess there have only been six desks in the Oval Office. Wow. Something I've never really even thought about, to be honest. But uh, they're all here in this list to give you a description of each of the desks and who brought them in. I guess you can, if we need the president, you can pick whatever desk you want and bring them in. And there's only been six of them. Interesting. So, I thought that was kind of weird. There's only six. But hey. Well, there's that quite a variety desk that, that Nicolas Cage had to break into to get the little. That's right. Was that National thing. Treasure? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. Good point. That's really cool, though. Only six. That's that's. Uh... Yeah, and they go through all different kinds of like designs and styles. So the Resolute desk is like super ornate as far as the carving goes, and you got some something pretty plain, like the uh, the C and O desk here, which is made of humble walnut. Wow. You know, if I were the president, I would just go to IKEA and get like a, a, a metal frame with a glass top, and just and put my MacBook on there and be like, "There you go, nice and clean." <laughs> that's how the president likes it. Very cool. All right, let's get into kickback. This is where you guys have some stuff to say to us about uh, previous shows or stuff we talked about. Sean wrote in. He said, many shows ago, you talked about hearing protection in the shop uh, for what each of you do. I love the idea of Bluetooth, but I hate the big earmuffs. Thought I would share this Kickstarter campaign for a new style of Bluetooth earphone that has been built into a traditional ear style um, earplug. You know, the little uh, foam plugs that you pop in your ear. Now, I won't even put, let's not put the link to the Kickstarter because it looks like this product is done. The Kickstarter succeeded and you could just buy it. So go to plug, yeah, plugphones.com. That's PL dot com, and it, it is what it says it is and the question is how i always have this concern about how well it holds up what kind of charge you get um you know battery life on it and i don't know we'll see um but i'm uh, for the price it's super fairly priced and i, I just bought it by the way okay well, <laughs> as i was doing the show notes for this i'm like this is cool i'm buying that you know because it, it's certainly i only have the planer in the shop but uh it's fantastic for like cutting the grass and I wear those big like earmuff things mm-hmm. with the the plug in it. And that's hot and sweaty when you're yeah. out cutting the grass. So this is going to be uh, used a lot. I think there are, so. there are times where it just <laughs> makes sense. Uh, when I was turning on the lathe the other day, I've, I like to wear a face shield and mm-hmm. trying to get like the big earmuffs on while I've got the face shield on is really uncomfortable. Uh, so there's times where you just want a slim, low profile hearing protection and there's nothing better than plugs, but you can get the best of both worlds here. And it's 25 bucks. They were um, cheaper than I thought they would be. Yeah, and there's one for thirty, uh, twenty nine. I guess a special contractor one or something like that. But, geez, I mean, most anything with electronics in it and Bluetooth, especially, is you know you're looking at usually a hundred bucks for these things. Um, I would well, expect at least forty nine. There, there's a couple things going on, and they still have they have an Indiegogo campaign running right now. So the only thing I would say is when you go to plugphones.com, there's several different models. Some that actually plug in. And then some that are Bluetooth. So I think the twenty five dollar ones are not the ones you plug in. Oh, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, because I just paid eighty bucks. So don't tell me that. Yeah. So it's it's the Liberated series. So I misspoke there. Right. Yeah. So right. for the Bluetooth one, it's the the Liberated series, which is on Indiegogo. It's been funded, and they expect to ship in July. Gotcha. Thank you so for clearing that up. With shipping and everything, that was eighty dollars. Okay. So just so, just. Yeah. So, okay. So it's a price about where I would expect it to be priced. Right. right. <laughs> Never yeah. mind. But, but, you know, honestly though, because the, the $25 ones, I mean, these are like, these are the kind of, um, ear protection things that we have at the mill, you know, mm-hmm. just those little like foam thingies on the string. That's what they are. But yeah. the string has a plug that comes off of it and plugs into your, uh, whatever, whatever yeah. your device is. And that's not that's bad. That's pretty cool it's, in and of itself. Sometimes you, know? you just run that down your shirt, you know, and it's not that big of yeah. a deal. Well, cool. All right. Very good. Thanks for clarifying. Sure. Oh, I was a little freaked out because, wait a minute. Does Mark have a coupon <laughs> code I didn't know about? <laughs> that would have ticked me off. Yeah, uh, I can see why. All right. Well, I can't remember when this was. It was a couple of shows ago. Uh, I was telling you guys that uh, my wife had bought me a drone uh, for my birthday. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got several comments. And we said, I think, on the show that, you know, will you be doing uh, uh, shop videos from a drone? Well, uh, Chris wrote in and he said, I hate to brag, but I did a drone in the shop video about a year ago. It was super hard to fly in the shop without <laughs> crashing into any tools or my brother. And he posted the YouTube video of the drone. And um, Chris, I got to say, I'm going to be a YouTube troll right now and say, what is up with the music, dude? Oy. Oh, man. It was pretty bad. 
So fun video to watch. Just turn the sound off. <laughs> <laughs> I am officially a YouTube troll. Yeah, but isn't know, that I, like the number one troll comment? Great video, bad music. Too bad the music sucked. <laughs> Shut up with your stupid comments. <laughs> it's all good. It is fun. These these uh these um drone videos are awesome. Yeah. Oh cool. Who's got the next one? Oh, it's uh I I didn't think my name was on this one. Did someone Back put my name you. on it? That's no. hilarious. I thought I was waiting for Matt to talk. Uh, all right, so let's go through this real quick. Um, we made some Photoshop requests recently, and some people obliged. <laughs> Those are always fun, right? So we'll post all these in the, in the show notes. And uh, uh, Shannon, just so you know, I put them in the shared Dropbox, so you should have them there. Uh, Sean wrote in. He said, many shows ago, you talked about, nope. What? Someone is moving crap around. Yeah, but Shannon's a duplicate in there. Oh, is there? Okay, well... I, so it wasn't your name on this. It was uh, somebody duplicated that cell. Oh, that's so confusing. This is what happens you, when you use it. You were about to confuse the audience and talk about Bluetooth. Yeah, but uh, I'm totally confused myself. All right. So either way, we've got some funny show to, photoshops. We've got uh, <laughs> Shannon as Captain Morgan. We've got Exercise Matt, where Matt's head is on a, a, a female bodybuilder. Uh, we've got an actual hybrid where, you know, in the beginning of the show where we say <laughs> that the three of us would make one hell of a woodworker. Well, oh. it's it's basically my body, uh, Shannon's face, and uh, Cremona's hair. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Which I is had nightmares of, after that. That is, it's kind of fantastic. So we'll we'll definitely post those pictures for you to see. And uh, Aaron was the guy who made uh, two of them for us. And uh, doing whatever, doing whatever is that what the guy calls himself? On we'll put his Twitter link because he sent it to me on Twitter, uh, and you could check out um, his stuff. So yeah, cool. Thanks. We love these photoshops. They're hilarious. Uh, yes. Next, we've got one from Paul. He, who happens suspiciously to say that Paul Marcel <laughs> has some great info. I think I'm guessing Paul just probably, you know, was promoting his own stuff here. Anyway, uh, Paul Marcel has some great info on creating wider dominoes and draw boring them in a video link below. So we'll put the link or actually just embed that. And we were talking about that with breadboards recently. Um, so if you want to see someone draw bore a domino, go see Paul Marcel. He's the man. Yes, sir. Uh, this is from Alan. He said, uh, he sent us an article on Walnut and he said, I found it interesting, especially as my last trip to the lumber yard, we bought mahogany because the selection of Walnut was so bad. It is a, it's a pretty in-depth article about the, the lowering of the grades of Walnut hmm. and why that has happened. It's interesting to me because there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a rant feel to this article. <laughs> Like, how dare you? They're screwing us. Um, and, you know, his his uh, um, facts, I should say, are right that the grade of walnut has been lowered. Um, it's been that way for many, many decades now. So uh, if you're ever confused about just walnut is a gnarly wood. The tree itself is gnarly. Um, you, you really can't apply the same FAS standards that you would to say maple or oak as you would to walnut because it just doesn't grow that way. Hmm. So um, I'm going to attach, a, I'm going to include the link to this article. I think it's worth a read, but to be self-serving, I'm also going to include a link to an article that I wrote um, at my day job about specifically what the walnut NHLA walnut lumber grades are and how they differ from everything else. So it's key to know that when you go and buy FAS maple and you buy FAS walnut, they are they are not they are not they are not, not the same. There is a different rating standard. So yeah. yes. Very cool. And ironically, it's more expensive. Uh-huh. <laughs> walnut, walnut's very expensive right now. So. Go figure. Yeah. Good cool. uh, good stuff. I read that one. It was interesting. Uh this next one is from Michael. Hey, he says that as, as opposed to the other ones that he I does actually not read that one. <laughs> you know, I read it before knowing about it on here. You should so have done that instead of going to the lumber yard this week and wasting your time there. <laughs> I didn't even look at the wall. And to be honest, I probably <laughs> should have, uh, where are we here? Okay. So this is from Michael, Matt, Shannon, and old Matt. Thanks for keeping this ship afloat. I got to listen to your home improvement episode while interestingly enough, building a picnic table on a deck. I just finished. I was honestly considering using my Nerex to clean up the half lap or borrow my favorite neighbor's Stanley Carpenter chisel. Anywho, so for my kickback, old Matt, when when you're talking about your wife, I forgot her name, so I'll call her Shannon for clarity, measured, <laughs> measuring during the kitchen remodel, you mentioned that she could not read fractions. Ah, my friend, I grew up in a general contracting company that my mom started and learned at a young age that a family should have his or her own set of tools properly sized hammers, pink gloves, if that's your bag, acute eye protection. Uh, my favorite, though, that my wife and I never 
that my wife and I ever bought was a tape showing the fractions. You know, the ones the guys on the site will make fun of you for having. <laughs> yeah, they helped immensely. My wife and I have been through the bathroom model, uh, total gut and changing door configuration, a kitchen room model, and a deck build. And this little guy has saved me more times than buying one of each of the other sides at the Borg. Nice. That's only a little bit sexist. (laughs) Just a smidge. Just enough. Just enough to get someone to complain about it in the iTunes reviews. (laughs) Like that one woman did. I I only like to have the tape measures with fractions on them if the tape measure is pink. That's that's Oh, there you go. That's true. It should go hand in hand, right? Yeah. If I figure if I'm going to be sexist, I'm going to go all out. Yeah. (laughs) That's good stuff. All right. So let's take a break here to talk about a sponsor of the show, Harry's. We talk about those guys all the time. You know why? Because they make great products. And uh, in fact, I came home from Hawaii and had a special little gift, uh, a Father's Day shave set from Harry's. I opened up the box, much to my surprise. It was a uh, beautiful razor with a uh, really nice, elegant black handle, uh, a bunch of replacement blades, and of course the shaving cream. But they have this, um, I don't know if this is available in some of their other kits, but they've got this little metal block that you can drop the razor into, right? So you can kind of keep the razor up vertically displayed out because it really is. I mean, the stuff looks so nice. It's kind of like a little art piece in your bathroom. Um, but I was really impressed with this. And uh, I think, I think Shannon, you got one as well, right? I did. It's and, very uh, nice. Even the packaging. Oh, really yeah. well done. It, it fits this whole like artisan thing that we're yep. in right now. Very nice. For sure. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing I get whenever I open an Apple product. Uh, I don't care if you don't like Apple. I do. But when right. I open there, we're going to start to see Harry's <laughs> unboxing videos now. Yeah. When I open that up, I know I've got a good product there, you know, and that's the feeling I get when I open something like something like this. Now this father's day shave set they have on their website, it's 40 bucks. And you know, if you're looking for that gift for the guy who's got everything, this is a, a kind of a good option. You can get uh, engraving done on it as well. You can choose from the foaming gel, the shave cream, uh, whatever you like, 40 bucks. It's a great Father's Day gift, so you should definitely check it out. Um, if that's not in the cards, they do have a starter set called the Truman, and that's a great option for new customers, and it's an amazing deal. Just $15, you get the razor handle, uh, moisturizing shave cream, and three of Harry's five blade German-engineered razors, plus there's a special offer for fans of the show. Harry's will give you $5 off your first purchase with promo code WOODTALK. Go to harrys.com right now and look at the Truman set. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Enter the code WOODTALK, W-O-O-D-T-A-L-K, at checkout and get $5 off and help support the show. Stop compromising. Give Harry's a try today. Good stuff. And seriously, that Father's Day set is awesome. I might get that for my stepdad. He doesn't it's listen to the show. It's even got like so. travel, like a little travel holder and everything. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, pretty, pretty cool. All right, uh, let's okay. move into uh, what do we got next? I'm uh, trying to stifle a burp. <clears throat> do we have a poll of the week? I don't think we have a poll of the week. No. You know why? Because I, uh, I was on the vacation. The should be, what do you do when Mark is on vacation? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> I don't go to his website and I don't watch his videos to, to punish him. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, I was, I was a little bit busy and I didn't get the newsletter out or anything. I was totally lazy. Okay, the, next up we've got our feature topic. And Jacob wrote to us and gave us a, sort of the inspiration for this uh, quick discussion we're going to have here. He says, I'm a hobbyist woodworker who finds time in the shop when I'm not in, uh, at my job as a correctional officer. I work second shift and can only spend an hour or two in the shop uh, the days that I work and six to eight hours on my days off. I use woodworking as a stress reliever from working around inmates all day long. I'm building a computer desk for a friend and recently needed to get some progress done on my day off. So I headed into the shop and everything went wrong. I was making mistakes. My machines weren't cooperating and I became so frustrated that I called it a day before I spent half of my allowed shop time. Then a few days later, I only had a couple hours before work and the juices really started flowing and work was getting done and progress was being made. Unfortunately, I had to shut down to get ready for work. I have uh, said all, I've said all that to ask this. Uh, how do you deal with a bad day in the shop? Do you have any suggestions that help you overcome a frustrating day or do you simply just call it quits? Also, do you max, how do you maximize your time uh, when your time's limited to just a couple of hours. All right, so we've got a couple things to ponder here, and I guess we're all sort of in somewhat different situations and the amount of time that we have available. Um, but, yeah, I wrote that, wrote that down in the wrong place. Um, so <laughs> how do you overcome frustration? Um, now, I'll, I'll go first with this. If, it's, if I'm under a time crunch and frustration equals, like, this, this is really going to cause a problem, but I need to move on. Like I have to get this thing done. Um, at that point I will just take a break because once you get to that frustration point, that doesn't lead to anything good. So I need to, you know, sacrifice 15, 20 minutes, half hour, whatever you can afford, go to lunch. You know, if it's during the day, um, take a break, reset your, 
brain and, and and like i don't know go play a video game or whatever you want to do go get a drink do something uh but come back with a fresh perspective and you might find that you just don't make as many mistakes you know you just got to refocus and detach so then if if it's not a time crunch situation i'll just close the shop like if i'm really having a bad day and it's not something that's time sensitive close the door go in the house go watch some tv play a video game go for a run you know just do something completely having nothing to do with woodworking so that you can go back in the next day um, and approach it fresh. So uh, curious with you guys, if there's any tactics you use, um, I mean, let's, let's talk about a time sensitive because that sounds like what he had. Uh, time is of the essence. You get into a really frustrating point. Uh, Matt, do you have anything you do to, to help relieve that kind of stress and get you focused and uh, stop making mistakes? Stop screwing <laughs> up so much. Uh, I walk away for sure. Yeah. Or at least a, a little bit, do something else. Doesn't really matter what, um, if I have something else going on in the shop and I want to stay in the shop, maybe I'll work on another project for a little bit just to get my mind off of that one. And normally I can f- come up with some solution to the problem I was having on the project that was giving me the frustration. Mm. And when I get back to it, I'm less frustrated and I kind of have a clear understanding of what I need to do to move forward with that project. Yeah, and frustration and sharp tools kind of don't get along. You know, just <laughs> yeah. not a good idea. Uh, Shannon, you often hit a, a frustration point and have to do something yeah. to, I mean, like you said, if time's not of the essence, uh, I just, I have to get out of the shop, you know, yeah. even if it's just take a five minute walk down the block or whatever, mm-hmm. it usually helps a lot. But if, if I've got to keep working kind of like what Matt was saying, we do something else. Inevitably, 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 there is, there are those little parts of a project, usually like in that finishing detail stage, um, that are kind of independent. So, for instance, say you're gonna you're gonna make your own drawer pulls, you're gonna turn your own doorknobs or whatever. I can just skip to that, and I'll just something totally different. And I specifically bring up turning because I do a lot of times I'll have a turn knob or sometimes it's not turned and it's, you know, it's like a little piece of ebony or whatever that's sculpted. It's, it's something that's a lot more meditative, a lot more mellow because yeah. I'm just dealing with a small little piece of something. Um, I can kind of walk away without leaving the shop and focus on that. Um, if that doesn't present itself, <laughs> you guys are going to laugh, but uh, <laughs> dance break. Nice. <laughs> you know, I find I find a guilty pleasure song and just sing at the top of my lungs, basically. You know, three minutes and thirty seconds, four minutes, you know, get it out of your system, clears my head. Hey, I was a music major, you know. That's I love that. Not a bad just, idea, just, man. You know, I mean if 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 I were Mark, I'd go play the drums. You there know, you go. Put, put on put on uh, uh Tom Sawyer by Rush and just rock and out. Pre- and pretend I can actually play it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that's sometimes what sometimes I just gotta like sing at the top of my lungs and just kinda clears everything out. Gets my actually physically it gets my breathing in line and yeah. I'm good to go. You know? Well and you know if you uh if you meditate, which is something that I do, that I find that to be very helpful if I'm frustrated about something that helps me focus and clears my mind very nicely. Um you know the other thing is if you I can see if you don't have a lot of shop time, you're greedy about your shop time. And maybe that's yeah. the wrong word, but you're you you are protective of it. So you can't even imagine, like like you said, losing half of my allowable time. But if it's something that's going to cause you more do-overs and reworks and things, you're just going to eat more time grand total if you stay. You know, yeah. so I could it resists the urge to stay when your when your brain is telling you to get out and and refresh and then come back with it with a fresh perspective. It'll be a whole lot better. And I think you'll be surprised at how little quote downtime you need to kind of refocus like i said you know literally a song break your average you know song is is in the three to four minute range you Mm know um a walk down the block and back five minutes at most you know it's really all you need now how about maximizing productivity uh matt if you only have a small amount of time but you got to have stuff done do you have a a trick or anything you do to make sure you're efficient while you're in there yeah so this is this was true back when I was working my day job, and it's especially true now when I have even less time to be in the shop. It's when I'm not in the shop and I know I have things to do in the shop, I can literally just sit doing whatever I'm doing, eating dinner, you know, on the toilet, whatever I'm doing. Hey, I can just I can just sit there and I can think of all the, the steps I need to take to get the the whatever the sub assembly or sub process of the project done when I get to my shop. I know every single step I need to take, every setup I need to do. So all I have to do when I get out there is just kind of go through the routine. That becomes more of a routine. There's less of a chance of making mistakes because I've already done basically a dry run in my mind or multiple dry runs in my mind, and I can just kind of go through it. Then I don't really have as much of that whole like frustration thing anymore 
because I don't really I don't get to a point where I was like surprised like this happened because it's literally just go through the process and then you get to the end you're like well that was pretty quick yeah and it went really smoothly yeah and I, I do something very very similar and I'll make a physical list like a checklist. So all of those steps are on there and I can see my progress and I know exactly what I think I should accomplish today. Even if I don't get there, I, I kind of know where I'm going to be at tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I, I find that helps me keep very, very focused when, when time is of the essence. Um, Shannon, you do anything different? Um, not terribly. I just find that I get really specific mm-hmm. on that task list. You know, instead of say, you know, cut the mortise and tenons, it's like, cut the tenon on this board Mm -hmm. and chop the mortise and I will actually physically write it down Um, I used to have a dry erase board in my shop and it got lost in the somewhere (laughs) in the the remodel (laughs) and I think I should put it back up because the motivational aspect of crossing something off the list even if it's something as stupid simple as lay out the mortise um, it really kind of, it, it motivates you. It's it keeps huge. you going yeah. and you can walk out at the end of the day and go, look, I crossed four things off the list. And more importantly, the eight things remaining on the list, give me my, my plan of attack the next time I go into the shop. So, you know, it may sound like, well, I don't have time to be making all these lists, but you know, I find that physically writing them down is helpful. But like we said earlier, you know, go take that walk. Think about that stuff when you're on a walk. Like when I go out for a walk, I rarely listen to music anymore because I'm kind of working things out. I'm figuring out the next shot, the next shot in my shop, or the next physical task that I have to take, or yeah. what I'm going to have for dinner, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> stuff like that. Um, and it, it really helps. It goes a, a long, long way to focusing you. And instead of doing that five minutes of kind of standing around staring at the wall, what am I going to do? You walk right in and you're immediately productive. Yeah. And you know what? You bring up a really good point about the subtopics and breaking down the details. Because if you don't do that, and let's say you put on your goal for today, make frame and panel doors. Well, there's a lot of steps that have to happen to make a frame and panel door. So if you don't reach it and you only wrote that down, you don't check anything off. But if you have um, mill the stock, cut it to length, rip it to width, uh, you know, uh, cut the the mortises, uh, cut the tenant, you have that like each one down, it's going to make it so you're going to feel so much more productive and be able to monitor your progress. That's a really good point. Yeah. I wrote a post about this a while ago. Um, it was actually in reference to my Rubo workbench because that Mm. was a project that it just took forever because I kept starting other projects. Right. And I like, I worked on my workbench top on sawhorses for a long, long time. Um, but I, I, I broke this down when it came to actually installing my leg vise and, you know, instead of install leg vice, it was like a 38 step list. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, it really motivated me. I'll, I'll drop the link in the, in the show notes if somebody wants to see literally how specific I got, but cool. it made a huge difference in getting it done. Good deal. Sounds good. All right. Let's move into our voicemail. First one here comes from Matt and he's got a question about router bits. Hey guys, it's Matt Kummel from Connecticut. Um, for my next project, I need to duplicate some curved parts. And I was thinking about making a pattern and using the router. Um, I'm now completely stuck on choosing a pattern bit. I've looked online, and I found that I'm both spoiled for choice and paralyzed from too many choices. So I was hoping you guys could share some advice on how to choose the right router bit. Uh, First of all, there's just a confusing mess of features that are mentioned. The number of flutes, shear cutting, spiral cutting, up cutting, down cutting, compression cutting, bearings on the top, bearings on the bottom, bearings on the top and the bottom steel bits, carbide bits. So once you've gotten through that gauntlet and narrowed things down, do you make a different choice if you're using a handheld router or if you're doing it uh, table-mounted? Um, and the final question that I had was, um, oh, I think I just multi-questioned this one, but uh, what drives the choice of cutter de- uh, diameter? How do you choose whether it should be a one-eighth, uh, one-half of inch? Um, is there something that's special or is it... Uh, just go with the biggest one you can get away with. Um, thanks a ton. Love the show. And uh, looking forward to a bit of assistance here. I'll talk to you later. Bye. All right. Well, I think going through like all the details of the various router bits and buying advice, it's a little bit beyond the scope of what we're doing here today, but we can answer his questions. He says, handheld versus table. Do you use different bits? You know, for me, I like to have a variety of flush trim bits in the shop because if you have 
ones with the bearing at the top, ones at the bottom. Maybe you have a compression bit and maybe you've got one with a bearing on both. There's versatility and options. And there, there are just, you know, times when you hit this certain situation where you can't put the template on the side you want to, or, you know, there, there's these weird limitations you confront. And if you have different length bits with different diameters and different bearing locations, you have more options. So not everybody can, you know, collect that many bits, but it is the reason why these things are out there because it makes it much more versatile. Um, but generally speaking, anything that I use in handheld is also just as likely to be used in the router table uh, if, if I choose to do it that way. I don't have anything that I specifically go to except for the big daddy bit. That is the, <laughs> that is the only one from William Ng's uh, shop, uh, WN Woodworking School, his store. He's got this massive flush trim bit, uh, pattern bit that is just huge. You can You really should not be using that in a handheld router, router table <laughs> only. And aside from that, though, just about every other bit can go either way. Um, do you have any that you isolate to one or the other, Matt? No. Yeah, I mean, no. unless it's huge, I don't really see a reason why you would need to. I always used, like, I felt weird using quarter-inch shank bits in my table. And that was probably stupid, but I just, I always had, I was always told, if you have a half-inch shank, use that, because it's just going to be stronger, more stable, I think generally vibration. speaking, I avoid quarter-inch shank if I can. Like across yeah, the board. And maybe that's probably more of what I'm saying here. Yeah. But if I did have a quarter inch shank and I didn't have that profile anywhere else, I was usually putting that into my yeah. handheld router because right. it was usually a smaller something, sure, you know, sure. a smaller detail. Um, so speaking of shank, we can look at the d- diameter question. Um, if you're going for a flush trim bit, is there a benefit to going with a smaller diameter or do you always go with the biggest one possible? Hmm. Well, I go bigger usually. I mean, I'll go with as big as the project can take because sometimes yeah. you might have a, you know, an inside curve or something. Um, and the bigger the bit is, the more stable it tends to run. So right. I, I will generally go as big as I can for the project. But um, and, and, you know, when you're doing that flush trimming operation, if it's too thin, I always feel like I'm going to flex the bit, you know, but because you're putting pressure against the bearing as you do it. And sometimes you might put a little too much pressure on there. And I feel like a, a thicker bit, a larger diameter bit is going to resist, you know, my pressure against that bearing a little bit better. And those bigger bits, usually they can take away a little more material than the smaller bits or a little faster or whatever. Yeah. If you have a little more material to flush up to. Sure, sure. And just as a general point, um, if you can, I know the more expensive, but he mentioned spiral versus, you know, straight, straight uh, cutters. I will almost always go with a spiral if I can afford it just in general. And I know, you know, you have your up cut and your down cut to worry about, but the, the cut is always cleaner and I get better results with spiral bits. So whenever possible, I'm, I'm picking up a spiral bit. Yeah. You don't have to worry about going against the grain as much and yep. all that downhill stuff. You yeah, can go wherever you want with those. Much things. less chance for burning because you've got better chip extraction and it just runs cooler. Yep. It's a good idea. They're more expensive, yeah. but totally worth it in my opinion. Uh, Did anybody else have Forrest Gump flashbacks during that voicemail? <laughs> Shrimp sandwich. Fluted no. bit, upcut bit, no, lemon I, shrimp. I, I didn't, but I'll go back and listen to it and uh, I'll have that I'm moment. I'm sure I will now. Sorry, I was laughing all the way through the thing. If that came out on the audio, that's why. Uh, good one. Uh, all right, Jason also called in and he's got a question about speed tenons. Hey, Mark, Shannon, and Matt. This is Jason from Stafford, Virginia. I just had a quick question for you guys. Uh, I'm not sure if you heard it or saw the article a while back. I think it was fine woodworking. But in any case, they called it the speed tenon or the 30-second tenon. Essentially, you cut the shoulders of the tenon on the table saw like uh, normal. And then from there, you pull the piece back and you actually slide it forward into the blade, basically shaving off what you would normally take with a tenoning jig cut. Um, I've been using it for a little while now. It's super fast. Um, you know, it works very well, but some might, you know, consider it unsafe. So, uh, the article talked about that and was, I think the article was actually questioning if it was safe enough for, uh, large magazines to put out as part of something that's safe enough for people to do. Just wondering if you guys have ever done it or what you thought about it. I use it and it works great. Um, I love the show guys. Keep it up. Thanks. And what's cool about this is if you Google speed tenon, you'll find fine woodworking's video by Asa. Like this is pretty old at this point. Uh, and then you find Bob Lang's video out there. That's kind of a, rebu- a rebuttal to it. This is like watching the, the, the mud slinging back and forth between the two <laughs> magazines is a little like watching like the nerd equivalent is like, uh, what's better star Trek or star Wars. 
you know, except for this is like the woodworking equivalent of that. Um, it is hilarious. And the funny thing is there's actually, you know, Asa did the first video, right? And the first video shows the method that Jason is describing. So you're basically nibbling away after you cut your shoulders, you're nibbling away and you're actively pushing into the blade, but running it across, letting the side of the teeth chew away the material. The scary thing about that is if you happen to push it up too far and then you're going, you know, left to right, that blade could really take a hold and take a nice big bite and you're not expecting it, right? So it's really relying upon your ability to just pour, push it forward just a little bit each time so that the blade isn't taking off too much at once. Think cove cutting jigs on the table saw, right? When you're going at a 45 degree angle, only this is using a miter gauge in the fence. So if you look at the Bob Lang um, sort of rebuttal to this, he talks about how it's not safe to use the fence. His method is better. He likes to basically curve it out right? So he does the shoulders and does a bunch of curve cuts and then uses a chisel to remove what the, the blade didn't get uh, with, with the curve cutting. Um, so two very different methods. I don't know that I would call Bob's version a speed tenon anymore, yeah. <laughs> you know, because by the time I'm taking that, each face of my tenon has to go back to the workbench and be hit and smooth with a chisel. You lost me. Um, it's got to be faster than that. So well, first of all, did you guys, you guys familiar with both of these methods, the one by fine woodworking and then Bob Lang's? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Do you? Yeah, and I remember the mudslinging. It was fun to watch. It is. Go read it. There's hundreds of comments to read through. It's it's endless entertainment. <laughs> um, so here's the go question. Go read the comments. <laughs> yes, that's for one of the first times I'll tell you to go read the comments. Uh, it's actually better than the content in this case. Oh. <laughs> um, so uh, Matt, you ever done one of these speed tenons in a in a pinch? Uh, I haven't, uh, but I do something kind of similar. If I'm really like depends on my mood, so I usually do the cheat cuts with a dado stack. I'll waste out the material with the dado stack. And then if I kind of feel like, I don't know, kind of handsy, I might uh, run that uh, tenon back and forth over the dado stack to get rid of the ridges from the dado, if there are any. Yeah. But other than that, that's about it. The closest thing I've ever gotten to this because I, I just have other methods I prefer personally. Oh, my God. Nicole just handed me like a corn fritter or something. <laughs> what is this? Your squash. It's, a squ- it's like a squash fritter from our did, garden. Did you, did you bring enough to share? No. You can't have any. I'm not going to chew on the show. Somebody else talk. I got to finish this. <laughs> I uh, don't make speed tenons. <laughs> even, even when I had power tools, I don't think I made speed tenons. Maybe. Uh, I'll wait until I eat dinner. Uh, no, well, this is, this is a fantastic thing I'm eating here. Um, so <laughs> totally aside the point. Um, the funny thing is I think that the ASA method does make me nervous. Like I can see why a qualified, experienced woodworker could do it. There's a lot of things an experienced woodworker is more comfortable doing that involve uh, manual dexterity that still fall under the category of dangerous for other people. Uh, the Bob Lang's version, I just don't think that that's something I could call a speed tenon. Like, yeah, it's it's quicker than some methods, but uh, I would rather see him just waste away as much as he can with, you know, without moving the piece side to side, uh, go back and hit all those spots you missed, you know, or just take an eighth inch adjustment left to right each time and get as much of that away. So you don't have as much work to do after the fact. Um, but the, the, the best part of it for me is the arguments about whether or not to use a fence when you're doing this. So uh, that's something that I get a lot of crap about. I use a miter gauge in conjunction with the fence only if there isn't a cutoff. And I will do that until uh, I no longer do woodworking. And I disagree with anyone who says that it's extremely dangerous. I don't think it is at all. Bob Lang also thinks it's dangerous, um, but I don't feel that it is. So when you look at Ace's version, he doesn't, uh, he actually just uses the fence and then kind of goes through the operation and, and Bob's calling him out for it. Um, in Bob's version, he'll use like a stop fence, one that's that's before the blade, it ends. So you can kind of register and then push forward. To me, that's incredibly inaccurate because it's easy for the blade to cause the piece to drift and now you no mm-hmm. longer have a square shoulder, right? And I don't think that the risk that's being claimed exists. Um, unless there's a cutoff, I see no reason why you can't utilize that fence in that operation. So to me, a speed tenon would be keep your regular blade in there, cut those shoulders and then start nibbling away all the way as you're moving left to right all the way to the end. Don't do it like Asa did. I don't think that that's really the safest way to go, but you know, why not just do sort of forward, back, forward, back, forward, back and nibble it away. I think that's a reasonable way to go. Yeah. Just like you nibble on that squeaky toy, Mark. I'm nibbling on this thing. Oh my God, this is so good. (laughs) I still have half of it to eat. Okay. So let's get into our email. Hold on. I got to finish this. All right. Well, Mark, you two, I'll go. I'll go out of order. Yeah, please go. Oh. 
Um, Mark wrote in and he said that uh, he, basically he's wanting to get into to wood carving. He's a turner now, um, and he's thinking it'd be kind of a cool way to spice up some of his turning by getting into wood carving. And is wondering if we have any suggestions for someone interested into getting into wood carving, like what tools you would suggest or beginner projects. Um, I'm I'm going to say if you really want kind of a comprehensive source for learning wood carving, join Mary May's online school. Oh yeah. Um, it is uh, super cheap. You can do monthly, and she's got like a full-on curriculum of uh, you know easy to harder projects. She's pushing out new projects every single week. It is outstanding. Uh, the video quality is great. The follow-up. She gives you templates. She gives you everything you you really need to get into wood carving. So um, there's really no reason to go any further than that. Now, as far as chisels go. You know, everybody's going to tell you something different. I've been using the file Swiss made chisels um, since I started wood carving. I know a lot of people using those. I started using them because I could get them at my local woodcraft. Um, that woodcraft no longer exists now. So I don't know. Um, you know, there's there's as many different suggestions for brands of carving chisels as there are, you know, woodworkers, frankly. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say go with what works for you. Um, I did a carving lesson in the hand tool school and I specifically talked with Mary May about a good introductory carving set of tools. I think the key, just like with a lot of stuff, is not to go crazy and buy a whole bunch of gouges, but buy gouges as you need them for specific projects. So that being said, a good set um, would be a, about uh, six or eight gouges. And this comes from Mary. I will put this in the show notes, but real quick, we're talking about a six millimeter V gouge, 60 degree V gouge. Uh, number three, excuse me, uh, a three millimeter and six millimeter, 14 millimeter, number three sweeps. Uh, a 14 millimeter seven sweep, a 10 millimeter eight sweep. And that really covers a huge variety of projects. This is what she recommends in her school as well. She said, if you really want to get fancy, Throw in a 14 millimeter number four sweep, six millimeter number seven sweep, and a six mil number eight sweep. Again, mm -hmm. all that will be in the show notes. But with those, what, eight, seven, eight different gouges, I, I have those and I, I put them into their own tool roll, tool roll at one point. And honestly, I rarely dip into my other tool rolls. I use those for just about everything that I run into. Nice. So, there you go. There's your introductory cool. set. When you go see Mary, don't creep out on her like Matt does. Not, <laughs> uh, not Cremona, Vanderlist. She, do, she doesn't Matt. like that. Old Matt. Old Matt, new Matt. That was yeah. the established uh, naming Old Matt. Uh, paradigm we came across. All right. Uh, Jason wrote in. He says, huge fan, blah, blah, blah. Thanks for everything. Um, <laughs> thanks, Jason. We appreciate that. Uh, but we're pressed for time. My question is about attaching a butcher block top to a four-posted kitchen cart without getting too specific. Would mortising the underneath of the butcher block and using tenons on the post present movement problems with the butcher block? Or should I use stretchers with slots uh, for screws for movement? Uh, it would not be an end grain block. Thanks again for your help. So uh, yeah, I think you are going to have movement issues. Um, most butcher blocks, given the width, and especially if it's one that's going to be side grain or, excuse me, just like regular face grain, that sucker is going to move. You're also talking about something that's probably going to absorb moisture. Um, so you do have to allow for that movement. Uh, I think going with the aprons is probably the best idea. You could certainly do like a mortise and tenon thing, maybe give it a little bit of front to back movement like so that that that, that you, you have sort of a secure bond side to side but just a little bit of movement front to back and then drive your screws up through the apron give them some movement as well and you kind of get the best of both worlds it would be a really secure connection that way but no doubt about it i think you got to use the screws through the aprons um, you've got to allow that thing to to move substantially over its life otherwise you're gonna run into some issues there that's yeah. it that was a simple that's one it. today yeah, okay, good. This next one's from Eric. He's wondering why there are no 8-inch jointers with 110-volt motors in them. What? And do we know of any, or is he just stuck with just doing a 6-inch because he only has 110-volt in his shop? What? Crazy. <laughs> so I kind of had the same dilemma back at my old shop. I didn't have 220, and I ended up moving before it became really an issue, but I was looking for a jointer, an 8-inch at least, that came in at 110 volts. The only one I could find was the one from Delta, the DJ20. Um, so basically you're looking for a jointer that has a 1.5 horsepower motor in it or somewhere around there. Not a lot of them do. I think a lot of manufacturers just throw a 3 horsepower motor in it just because. Why not? That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's kind of, I was looking like, it can't be just that one nowadays. But yeah, pretty much all the ones I looked at, they're all 3 horse motors now. So you're pretty much stuck with 
or two or three horsepower motors. They're all stuck at uh, 220 now. So either find yourself one that happens to have a one and a half horsepower motor, find yourself one of those delta jointers, or I don't know, keep looking, or mm. just get yourself a 220. Yeah, suck it up, get the electrician out there and do it. It's you worth it. You won't regret <laughs> it. It opens up a lot of doors, honestly. And you know, the other problem is some people just can't do it. Um, they can't, you know, don't have uh, room for the upgrade or the, the, the type of box that they can upgrade uh, or the facility that will allow them to run the wires, you know, which kind of sucks. But uh, if you can do it, do it. You won't regret it. Or your neighbor's power. <clears throat> yes. You could just uh, mooch off of them. Like, like I used to do with cable. I just, I just imagine a big, like you know, twelve gauge <laughs> extension cord running across the street. Oh, it's even bigger than that going across the street. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. All right. Well, if you want to support the show, you can. You could just uh, set up a recurring donation or a one-time donation at WoodTalkShow.com. You could pick up a WoodTalk T-shirt at TWWStore.com or. If you uh, don't want to spend any money, you can just go to iTunes and leave us a review there. Uh, just look us up in the store and click on ratings and reviews and leave us a nice five-star rating, just like a bunch of people did. I'll just read one here. Uh, Tony Gregory says, great podcast. I listen every week on my drive to work. The guys have uh, give useful information and are funny to boot. They are also very down to earth, making you want to sit down with any of them over a beer and have a long discussion. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you so much. I will click that. That was a helpful review. Because it really helped me. Help me feel better today. <laughs> All right, Shannon, uh, give him the contact info and we'll get out of here. Okay. If you enjoyed today's show, if you have comments, questions, want to check out any of our links, you can find us a bunch of different ways. You can leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. You can call our voicemail line using that old-fashioned phone thingy. It's 623-242-5180. I shouldn't say that. There's nothing old-fashioned about phones. You can use it. Or you can go to our fancy contact form <laughs> at woodtalkshow.com slash contact if you're feeling new-fashioned. And you can leave us a comment there, or you can find us on our Wood Talk Facebook page. Finally, if you want to find the show notes and check in any of our links today, uh, you can go to woodtalkshow.com. And of course, you can also find us at thewoodwhisperer.com, renaissancewoodworker.com, and mattcremona.com. Yes, awesome stuff. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. See you, bye. Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.